Sam, you are here. You first. <laughs> How are you doing? Made it in. You did. Logan is beaten again. <laughs> <laughs> Every single time, Logan is too slow. <laughs> okay, this is episode. I'm gonna roll, just do a quick intro here. Episode 59. Special guest today, Pam Talon. Growing North is here, and we also going to play the song real quick. There we go. And I heard Logan. Yeah, Logan, hi. Hi, how are you doing? Beep, beep. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so, Logan, Pam beat mm. you again. I think last week you actually made it before the guest, right? This, this week, <laughs> you you didn't make it. Oh, no. Oh, no one warned me this was a race. I know, right? Yeah. It's news to me. Michael likes to bring stuff up like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the winner is... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. That's okay. I heard that the prizes aren't all that awesome, so don't don't get too bad. <laughs> there you go. Whoa, yeah. Silver okay. lining, eh? Yeah. Um, growing north. So, Pam, yeah. you've been doing this since 2007. Um, yeah, unofficially from 2007, and I, man, I can't remember when I actually made it an official business at this point. But um, yeah, for for a long time now, I guess seems. Mm -hmm. Seems short, but when you put her numbers on it. <laughs> yeah. And now, before we dive into this, what you do there, how is, um, how did you get up and ending up in the gardening? Sorry. Oh, <laughs> no, no, that's a fair enough question. Um, I just, I don't know, I like growing things. And I don't know how I found that out. Um, I used to just kind of stick things in my mother's garden when I was a kid. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she'd have these things that her daughter is not going to let her take out. And sometimes they're a tree, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think she really appreciated that so much, especially since it was her flower garden. And I was probably sticking carrots in it. I don't But um, <laughs> I just, I like growing things. And then I spent some time in Southern Ontario. Okay. And if anyone from who's grown up in the North has gone to Southern Ontario, they get very accustomed to much nicer produce much fresher produce and a better selection right. of produce. Um, and then I came back north right. and I wasn't very happy with what was in the stores. So I'm just like, well, seeds know what they're doing. You know, nice newbie mistake there. But for the most part, to be honest, seeds do know what they're doing. You just have to learn it along with them. And so I just started growing stuff. I'm like, it tastes better. I don't want the other stuff. I want this stuff. So right. yeah. Yeah. I get that, and the because it you in the south you mean it's because it's fresher and they actually grow it there. Is that what you mean? Yeah, the the farmers markets um, in the, the throughout the summer and everything else, ignoring the controversies that happen where people say farmers markets aren't selling their own produce, but um, especially in Guelph, it's it's farm country, and that's where I was. You could okay. go to the market and get an entire bushel basket of peppers for you know three dollars. Oh wow. And these things are fresh and they're really yeah. tasty. And I mean, of course, yeah. there's all the fresh great breads, but then they also have the dairies there. And it, obviously there's more resources, but then you come back up here and it's just not the same. <laughs> gotcha, yeah. Mm. Yeah, when when I first arrived in Canada, we uh, we rented a place out on um, close by um, Keka Becker, short before Keka Becker. And my parents rented it and I still was living with them. And they, we had a little bit of time and we did a garden. 
for the first time, like for me. And like when we, we worked in the bush, we did some firework and then we uh, firewood work and then we got out of there and we pulled some fresh onions out for dinner and some carrots and we fried them up with other things. And it's just like there's nothing like it, right? Yeah, there really there really yeah. isn't. I've yeah, I've had a lot of people who tell me they hate vegetables. And then all of a sudden I'll be walking through the garden. I'm like, well here, try this. They're like, what's that? I'm like, what's a bean? They're like, I don't like beans. I'm like, just try this. <laughs> Yeah. So you give them a fresh bean, a ripe one right off the plant. And all of a sudden they're like, that's a bean. Like, yeah. yeah, no, that's, that is really a bean. Like, and then they want another one. And then they're like, well, what's that? And all of a sudden their eyes are open to how amazing vegetables really can be. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you, there's a strong influence from your mother made you a gardener then, or also your own, like, Hey, I like what I'm doing here. I think it was just, it was more on me because my mother would do flowers and it's just not her thing. She would do some flowers outside, things like that. So that she would have something to do while she was taking care of the children. And then she, you know, she would landscape the yard more or less to have a, an attractive yard, but not because mm -hmm. she really enjoyed the garden. Okay. Um, and I would just stick things in it because I like to, I'm like, Oh, what does this do? Cause I, I am thrilled to learn new things and I love observing the world. And I just love seeing what's going on. And I think as a kid, that's exactly what I was doing. I'm like, Oh, this is a seed. Well, I'm going to stick it here and see what happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's fascinating. I like that. Like I can, I can honestly say that when I was growing up, I did not have that feeling to do that because I was just living in this big city. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Totally different. And now yeah, everything's here, right there. Yeah, and now actually now we 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 started the tomatoes, so we are doing it now more. But I never had it in my childhood. Yeah, I I, I don't know. My mother was in the middle of the city and still is. Um, but there was dirt, and I wanted to stick something in the dirt that was there, so I did. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I I that's, I like it. No, and then you now you are this big, like you have you have asparagus popping up i saw the other day now yep i have asparagus on a south facing um garden so that the, the soil does get a bit warmer than some other areas of the yard and i actually grow that right next to my roses because why not the roses aren't ready yet and by the time the asparagus is done the roses will be ready so <laughs> yeah see how do you even grow asparagus like you have to, this is a complicated one right because how does how do you do that you need a lot of patience um it's one of those ones <laughs> where you're not going to plant it and have it it's uh, it's a very gotcha. deep, diverse root system. It's called a crown. Okay. And uh, when you plant it, essentially it needs, you need to have a, just let it grow and turn into these big fern-like plants because that's what they actually look like when they're um, allowed to get past just a shoot because we eat the shoots. But they yeah. turn into this big fern-looking fern plant and you can't cut it down for the first couple of years. Like you don't get any asparagus off of it because you have to let those roots develop and get get really good so that the plant can keep feeding the root to develop and then say after like the second or third year you might get one or two slips off of it like it's if you're doing it in your own garden you're going to expect to get a taste of asparagus unless you do a large plot with like 20 30 40 crowns which if you have the space to do it i would say do it and then you can get a good harvest yeah are you going green or white asparagus um green and purple green and purple nice Wow, I've never heard about purple 
asparagus. Uh, I saw some healthy looking crowns in the store a few years ago and just picked them up and said, oh, those look healthy. And I'm like, I'm sure I can eat it. <laughs> Stuck it in the ground. Yeah, yeah why not? I found it funny when I got over here, then here the most common asparagus is the green one. And then in Germany, so then, then here you want to have, if you really want to eat fancy, you get the white one. And then in Germany, everybody has the white one. And if you really want to eat fancy, you get the green one. Oh, that's interesting. I wonder if it has something to do with uh, one of them does better in a certain climate than another, because most of ours comes coming out of California or areas like that. Mm. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, asparagus is is a spring crop and that's it. You only get it when the shoots are coming up first thing in the spring and then you're done. So I wonder if the white yeah. grows better in Germany. Maybe it's a tutorial thing. I don't know. No idea. Yeah. But it's, I found that funny Could when be. I got here and I was like, wow, it's everywhere I squeeze asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> We're just th those fancy Canadians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, and then you also do, you do a lot more, of course. But I, I, one thing that I found here was that you also go to the Kekebeker Fair. Is that or the... The farmer's market? Um, the last yeah, the two years I have. Sadly, this year it's not um, slated to be open yet. We'll see what happens. That's still up in the air. Right. But um, yeah, I participate during the spring, not not through the whole season, and maybe a little bit in the fall if I have some uh, extra produce from the uh, the yard. But generally in the spring, selling herbs and uh, and vegetable starters. This year, I'm going to just do that curbside. So I'm finishing up the website, and that should be up say late may early june um right when we can actually plant because you can't really plant here yet yeah. yeah so i realize you can buy plants and everything else in a number of places and that is fantastic because they have staff they have to support so i'm 100 percent supportive of that um i don't have staff and i like to make sure that the plants people are taking that they'll be successful with those plants so um i probably won't start sell sales until late may early june uh, that's, that's very smart no yeah. i like that and how does it how does, does it work now because this is a very interesting time right now a lot of people are being more interested in gardening i i, I presume oh um they are i for probably the last 10 years 11 years i've run the uh, gardening and egg community um it's a facebook group and uh, just so that people have a place to go and get mentorship because once you get out of school where do you go for that? There's youth groups, but there's really nothing for for an adult group to go and just listen. So I started that so that people could find information for our area versus California growing. Because mm -hmm. good luck looking something up online <laughs> if you yeah, tried. Yeah, our growing season is super short, right? It is. It's uh, 90 to 100 days, and that's frost-free days. It's really short. Um, yeah. And even then, when it's those frost-free days, you have so much sun at the beginning of it, um, but you don't have much sun at the end of it when the ground is warm. So when the ground is cold, you've got the sun, and then when the ground is warm, you don't have the sun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the sun is needed to turn everything ripe in the end? Yeah, it does need it, because if you just think of it on basics with plants, so I'm going to throw a whole pile of plants, science-y stuff out, so I hope you guys are ready for that. Ready. <laughs> um, if you think about plants, the things that they're producing is sugars. Well, sugars is a very complex, high energy molecule, right? And, and starches as well are even more complex. 
But so anything that's producing sugars or a sugary fruit or say even a beet, which is a lot of sugars or a nice sweet pea, anything like that, they need a lot of sun. And while they're ripening up those sugars right at the very end. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that's how you get the different colors with the peppers, right? The longer the peppers are on, the redder they get? Um, to some degree. Um, they'll ripen to a color from green. Some of them will be orange. Some of them will be yellow. Some of them will be striped. Some will be red. Oh, wow. I do find the red peppers take longer, and they also have a few more sugars than the other ones. Yeah. I also find yep. a yellow tomato will often riper, ripen faster than a red one, and it has less acids and less sugars. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I remember yellow tomatoes in the hospitality hospitality business. That was a big thing. And uh, we got them from a local supplier and once a week they get it the trace in and it's just absolutely amazing tomatoes. Yeah, they they really are a nice flavor because you don't have that real acid tang with the yellow tomato. And some people who have like a lot of gastric um uh oh, I kind of think of the word right now. You know, mm, reactions it, well not just reactions no but uh but it's the acid the acid reflux um, uh, and heartburn okay. and things like that can find that they can eat a yellow tomato a little bit better than they can eat a red tomato because it's got less acid okay so pam when did you start now like for this season when did you start this season off oh dear um for some things last spring because the grapevines that i would have clipped and rooted and grown for this season would have been wow. from last year, last spring. So they're about a year old already. Um, from seed, I will start things in like January, February. Okay. So I've been growing a few things like celery is a super slow growing plant. Um, a lot of those things are, are early. Yeah. What do you think about the whole celery juicing thing? No, it's not my oh, thing, man. but if someone enjoys it, go for it. <laughs> well, wasn't it like celery was this magical fr uh, thing that just came out? It was like uh, it's a super food. <laughs> like it's, it, it was like a, a trend now. Yeah, it was a trend. Yeah, it's, it's a juicing like, yeah. trend. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think celery went up like to like seven, eight bucks a, a package, I think. Yeah, it's it's funny how things happen that way. It's like, oh no, celery's amazing for you. Yeah, it really went up that way. And I feel that um, if that's the way you're going to eat celery, go for it. But if you're juicing every vegetable you eat, okay, the some of the nutrients are more available to you. But without all that fiber and roughage going into your digestive tract, um, you're not doing your intestine any favors. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, you need a balance there. You can't just juice at all. That, that's very true, actually, because even if you eat vitamins, certain vitamins, you always need some fat with it too, because otherwise the body can't absorb it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Certain vitamins, yes, you need fat. And um, a low cholesterol diet for some people can actually be a detriment um, because the cholesterol your body will also use to produce the hormones you need. And depending mm. on how your body's using them or what you're doing, if you're not getting enough cholesterol for some people. Yeah, they won't produce the natural hormones they need the, at the levels they need. So it's an individual type thing. Every every person is going to produce everything differently. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. Now you posted here something else on the page on your Facebook page. Really nice page. Go go and check that out. Growing North. There's you posted a picture 22 hours ago. The ground cherry. 
and a husk cherry baby's looking really good. Now, is that a cherry bush then, or what is it? Uh, no, it's um, it's cl more closer to a tomatillo. Have you are you familiar with the tomatillo? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Um, in the in the um, um, hospitality industry, when you're serving cheesecakes, you might have seen these small little um yellow berries that have the kind of like oh, slippery yes. husk. I know those ones. That's a ground cherry. Yes. That's the ground cherry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. And they got tons of those little seeds inside them. Yeah. Yeah. Super. They've got a really nice, interesting flavor. Mm. Yeah. They're... And you, you, you can actually grow them here? Oh, yeah. They grow perfectly well here. You start them early. Oh, like well. you start them a little bit sooner than your tomatoes. So you'd be starting them around the time you'd start your peppers because they're really slow to grow and slow to germinate. And yeah. they're weak, really weak little seedlings initially. But once they start going, they really grow. Um. And they produce all season long. I put them in a pot, a nice big pot, so that the roots can have enough moisture and it doesn't get too hot on them, things like that. So any, anything you stick in a pot, it should be at least a 12-inch pot or bigger. Um, tiny mm -hmm. pots are just kind of like a death sentence. But yeah, That makes sense. Do they, like, when they, they, when I buy them, right, they come in this package and they have those dried up leaves around them and then you open it up and there's the fruit in yeah. it. So is that when you pick it, when it's all dried up like that or earlier? Uh, when it's all dried up like that, I actually walk by and shake the pot. <laughs> and everything that falls down, I pick up and that's what I harvested that day. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's the, it's the easiest way instead of me thinking about it, because I like to do things the easy way. I really like to do things the easy way. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah. I just walk up to the pot, pick it up, give it a good shake. A lot will fall down. And I just pick those ones up. It's a good time management. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> when then another thing, like with my grandparents, for example, he had a big garden, and I don't know, but there's always this farmer's um, calendar out, and they say, "Hey, yeah. you have to plant here, you plant there." Is and then with a full moon or whatever, do you, do you have a guidance with that at all, or is? Um, or I think you experience. You talk about kind of like the farmer's almanac, right? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Um, I've never really gone by exactly what the Farmer's Almanac says, but I do know that there's a lot of um, generational knowledge in the area. And people who have grown right. for a long time, they don't like to waste their time or put their seedlings out if they know they're going to die either. Um, they're, they're, farmers like to make things efficient. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so listening to them and on the, the Facebook group where they're saying don't plant before the first, the full moon in June for our area, that usually is a pretty good indicator. Cause I find in the spring when the full moon is up and maybe it's with how it's dealing with the tides or whatever it's dealing with. Cause I've never looked into the science on it. Yeah. Um, the full moons in the spring do tend to be the colder nights. Okay. And I do find when it's around the new moon, it's usually the warmer nights. It just seems to work out that way. It's um, just anecdotal for me. I've never looked into why or how. But mm -hmm. after the first full moon in June is usually a really good way to go. I love when it's in early June. I really don't like when it's in late June. And that's when I start pushing it and have to pull out the frost covers. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. That's right. How is it this year? Yeah, it's, it's not too bad this year. It's around the second week or so. So it's not too bad. And in town, you have some buffers because you've got a lot of concrete around. You got a lot of yeah. um yeah yeah overhangs trees overhanging that'll stop the frost because um, yeah. frost goes on surfaces so if you've got stuff under a tree it's usually okay 
Yeah, we usually move out. We did tomato plants last year, and we had them still in pots. And then end of May, we moved them out during the day, and then at night, we moved them back in till it was safe. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and what you were doing is uh, essentially called hardening them off, because okay, they plants if they're grown inside under lights with no wind, anything else like that, they haven't developed rigid structures. They haven't yeah. developed any kind of cuticle to prevent them from drying out. It's kind of like taking somebody from here in the middle of January and plopping them on a beach in South Carolina for an entire day in the sun. <laughs> Ouch. That's, that's exactly what you're doing to your plants. If you take them without hardening them off gently, bit by bit, in a little bit of sun and a little bit of wind, <laughs> um, periodically for about a week, two weeks before you actually put them in the ground. It's exactly yeah. like taking one of us, our, us nice, white, pasty Canadian people in the middle <laughs> of January... <laughs> It's taking us on a beach in South Carolina for a whole day. Yeah, I've noticed some of them burned last year. Yeah, they may have been in a little bit too much wind or sun for the for the day or two. It's usually like a give them an hour, give them a couple hours, and then give them a few more hours, or try to put them in a bit of a shady area just so that they get the wind, so they toughen up their stems a bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's a good tip. Logan, are you um, planning hmm. to do a garden this year? No. Not yet. No, we don't really have the space in town for it. So oh, I've totally got an answer for you oh. for that one. <laughs> but what I've done, though, is that in my parents' place, we had rhubarb plants. And the rhubarb plants would get as big as a small car. And it was just something that we had when we grew up. We, we didn't really eat it, mm. but it was there. And so a friend of mine actually had a bunch of rhubarb. And he's like, you know what? I'm getting rid of this stuff. Do you want it? And I said, sure. So I took two plants and I, I found a plant that was just outside the fence line. So I dug it up, brought it into my place and they're flourishing. And what I found with rhubarb is that the soil gets really nice underneath and they grow. They just grow like wildfire. So that's what I've been doing. Okay. Yeah, I, my neighbor has rhubarb, and he he gives us every every spring. He gives us a couple, and then I cut oh. I cut them, I peel them, yeah. and then I cut them up, and then I just put them in the pan with some sugar, and then I fry them up. Mm. Yeah, and then the cool thing with rhubarb is you you have to pick it, and it'll regrow, and you just keep picking it. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, till it's flowers, right? And then you can't eat it anymore. I don't know. We just keep eating. Uh, we eat it raw. So I just I rip the flowers off and keep on pulling at it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't do the raw and then just dip it into sugar and then eat it. That's too sour for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I gave it to Albus last year and he he didn't yeah. know and then he bit it into it and he was just like, oh, I can't eat. This. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like you're eating a lemon in there. <laughs> but it's healthy, right? It, it is. It's got a lot of vitamin yeah. C in it. It's um, oh. in the northern areas. It used to be that you couldn't find a house that didn't have rhubarb. And it's very, oh, it yeah. was very strange to move into one that didn't have rhubarb because when you were relying on preserves and things I like that, you. it's one of the first fruits essentially that you can get in the north that early. I mean, you can get other greens, you can get, you know, lettuces, you can start spinaches, you can get a few things like that really early. But rhubarb was like the first fruit that you could do baking with. You could do all sorts of stuff with. And it was after the long winter when you're just living on whatever preserves and jams and jellies. It's the first real fresh vitamin C that everybody could get. And that's, gotcha. that's very, very important, the vitamin C, because we can produce it ourselves. Yeah. And it, it's like in the north for us, rhubarb, it's such an early plant. And it, uh, 
it has so much vitamin C and everything. It was, it's the first fruit you can really get. Mm-hmm. Right. Nice. So, and, it, and it's also classed as a fruit <laughs> <laughs> in uh, shipping or something like that. A friend of mine said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it essentially is a fruit, even though it's not yeah. like by nutrient, it's a fruit, but obviously yeah, it's exactly, not a yeah. seed bearing biological fruit. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. How do you trim a fruit tree properly? Depends on the fruit tree. <laughs> let's, say, let's, let's say an apple tree. An apple tree, you should do them yeah. in the winter. In the winter, okay. Um, you should do them in the winter. Um, and there's, there's kind of a basic process to it. You take any suckers off the bottom. And you can take the suckers off any time of the year because of most fruit trees, I'd say 99% of all fruit trees are a grafted tree. So they have a rootstock. And then they have the fruit tree growing off the top of that. And a lot of the suckers will actually be from a rootstock. Okay. Now, every sucker you have there is not um, a fruit-bearing branch, even if the rootstock was from a fruit-bearing. And so all, all it's doing is generate, taking energy to grow itself that the plant could use. So you take the suckers off first. Yeah. Hmm. Then you take any water sprouts. Now, a water sprout is a just an upward-facing, directly upward-facing branch no little spurs, no fruit spurs, nothing like that. So you want to clip off all of the, the water sprouts. Then you look for any crossing branches or branches that are growing inwards towards the middle of the tree. Um, the reason for crossing branches is because if a branch is rubbing against another branch during the wind or anything like that, else like that, it's they're injuring themselves, creating scars and opening up mm. the plant to disease. Yes. So you take off any crossing branches Mm. and um, you take off any inward facing branches. And then what you're going to do is you're going to look for the, the essential skeleton, the shape of the tree, your main leader branches, anything else like that. And then you start kind of shaping and working on the tree that way. Okay. So, so like in December or in um, Probably late winter. Okay. You want to do it while there's still snow on the ground. That was late this year. Um, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to get it before the sap starts running. So if people are already tapping maple trees, so if you're getting like plus temperatures in the day and negative yeah. temperatures at night, that's when the, the um, water pressure in the roots is appropriate for the sap to start running. Yes. And I've noticed, sorry, no. I not, I've noticed um, last week I, I was organizing a vine I have in the backyard. I mean, it actually grows grapes and um, I was putting it against the other vines and when I, whenever I accidentally um, damaged it it was already leaking water yeah probably really sweet tasting water too because that's all the sap coming up okay mm. i didn't do i didn't try it <laughs> you were sitting there looking on your, your grapevine for some reason uh yeah it was pulled down a little bit so i had to put it but supposedly you were supposed to trim those too right yep you trim those um there it's actually quite aggressive trimming on those you okay. take all the previous year's growth off down to the framework oh wow um so it's those are very aggressive actually on on my facebook page if you scroll down you'll see a before and after each spring of the grapevine that is going everywhere and all the way up onto my garage roof and then you'll see later and there's like four branches how how is that why is that um the main grapevine itself already has buds on it and it's only going to really produce grapes off of you know, the, those previous buds, if you just let, keep letting it go, I think the theory is, now I'm going to say this is theory because I don't have anything to back it up, is 
that it doesn't feel the need to try and reproduce because everything's nice and easy. What you end up yeah. with is a lot of dead, long stock branches and only a few leaves at the top because it's, it has no reason to keep generating leaves out of the main branches anymore. That's yeah, true. Um, so you end up with all these long, long, gangly everything and leaves only at the top <laughs> because it's, it's not producing them from the, the main structure, the main skeleton anymore. It's just producing them at the top of last year's branch, then the top of the year after that, and then after that. And you get a very weak grapevine that's putting all of its energy through all of these extra branches. Mm. And you're really getting nothing out of it. So you want less branches that can get more energy through them and you get a better harvest. Okay. And that, that's in the fall, right? That is also in the spring. That's before the sap starts running. So before the ground thaws, before you get that water pressure differential that is pushing so much through the branch to pop those buds open. Hmm. Yeah, that's an amazing force, right? The water coming through. It, it's huge. It's huge. If you yeah. cut, actually cut down a maple tree, like a mature maple, 10-year-old maple, at um, sap time, it is running. You'll get a river of the amount coming out of that tree. Yeah. I've, wow. I've seen it with birch trees. Like when I'm, when I'm behind with the firewood, and I have to cut in the spring. I don't like to do that, but it, it does. You cut the birch tree down, and then there's just water running out of it. Yeah, and it's running. It's not even dripping. Like it's it's a river. The amount of pressure and and water coming out of those roots. Have you read that book huh? from this guy in the Black Forest in Germany? Trees, and he talks about trees that there are beings and they are connected with the roots, and they um they relay messages to each other, but that's really really slow. I haven't read that one, but I have seen some um, journal articles related to the the um, the rhizomes like the and the different interconnected um, fungal webs related yeah. to the trees yeah. and how that network actually is a, a bit of a signal relay. And all plants actually do um, announce to the other plants if they have damage or insect invasion or things like that. There actually are signal molecules that travel. Yeah, that's what yeah. that was. Uh, that's what I heard too. Are you familiar with that, Logan? Well, I'm not familiar with that, but I know we were watching actually the Magic School Bus, the new reiteration of it. Yep. And they had shown that it's it's trees actually communicate through the fungus. So the trees send out a message, but it doesn't go anywhere. But the fungal, um, it's like a network that actually sends the messages out towards other trees. Mm -hmm. mm. That's what they're finding. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah. So they're living together? Like it's a cooperative thing? Kind of, yeah. Because I guess the, the mushrooms kind of feed off of the ground and what's around the trees. And then they actually interconnect with their webbing. Or the, sorry, the roots. And then the trees kind of get this, this message system with it. Okay. Yeah, a lot of yeah, funguses are, are symbiotic with roots because they get a lot of nutrient from what the tree is gathering from deeper down but the right. my, the fungus can fix nitrogen and it's actually you'll have a, a triple symbiosis because the oh, wow. there's bacteria rhizome or um, nitrogen fixing bacteria that will live within rhizomes of that fungus and do the nitrogen fixation which everything lives off of and yeah it's very mm -hmm. very interconnected once you start getting down there yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. 
So now for the spring, you said you're going to start selling uh, starters things at the end of May, right? Yeah, about the end of May, early June is when I do it because, like I said, I like to see people be successful. Growing North is not based entirely to be, you know, selling plants. Growing North is supposed to be inspiration and education and just getting more people growing. Mm -hmm. um, I cover my costs to because I experiment with having an all-season urban greenhouse and uh, yeah. how much you can grow in the city, things like that, to show people that you don't need to have a farm to grow your own food all year long. You could do it right in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you, what's the proper term for that when you need to, when the flowers are out and you need the bees, how do you make sure that in the greenhouse you get that all? A pollinator? Yeah. Depending on what you're doing, you don't necessarily always need a pollinator, um, depending on what you're trying to grow. Um, but what I will do often is after the wasps have done their nest building, so there's that se that session at the very beginning where the wasps are always trying to get in and things like that, I leave the doors open because I need that much ventilation. In the winter, it's very insulated. So I just need it to be wide open in the summer or else it'll be 70 or 80 degrees in there. So I open the doors wide up and I, inside the greenhouse, I'll have things like marigolds and alicium growing between everything else. And the bees will come in for the marigolds. Very nice. So Very I nice. just let it happen naturally. That's awesome. Because I saw that there was a picture with ladybugs. Yeah, I, I do all of my um, controls with bio controls. Um, there's actually on my blog, oh, on yeah. my website, there is a blog, I think it's called the first three months Persephone period, something like that. So you can easily search it if you go for growing North Persephone period. And um, okay. that's talking about everything else. And then I'll also have one talking about, there's a blog post talking about aphids. And you need to control either with a pesticide or a biocontrol, which is what I do with the ladybugs. And I bring a number of different microbes in or insects in, I should say. Um, I bring in microscopic parasitoid wasps and those will attack the aphids. I bring in two, three different kinds of predatory mites and they'll attack um, thrips and spider mite and different things like that. Um, you'll never see them. And then I'll bring in the ladybugs as well. And I bring it brought in lace wings. So the larvae and the adults will eat aphids. So I bring all of these different things in. Also an aureus is a, a small type of bug that will go and eat a lot of different greenhouse pests. Because once your greenhouse is closed up, the pests are, are in there. No matter what you do, the pests are in there. Yeah. But once mm -hmm. you close it up, nothing can get to the pests. So they think it's just fantastic. I mean, this is vacation time for them. They love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a microorganism world, right? A un little universe. It is. I have kind of like an, uh, my own little biosphere in there. But um, once the aphids die down, obviously the, pe the uh, predator will die down too. Kind of like the, the lynx and the, and right. the rabbits, right? They yeah, follow yeah, each other yeah. in cycles. Yeah. But I don't have a natural population, especially in winter, that can just go in there as the aphids start to rise. So I do have to bring them in. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, totally. So do you do workshops then as well? I am trying to find a bit more time to do that. I have done some workshops. I've done workshops with um, the Horticultural Society and uh, with Eco Superior. And related to a number of different things like vermicomposting. So using worms to generate compost and it's amazing stuff. It's all worm castings at the end. Yeah. 
and um, on foodscaping actually. So taking your landscape and doing landscaping, but all with edible plants. Um, so you can have a beautiful garden, yeah. it's all edible. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. I've done, yeah, a number of different things like that. I used to, and I'm hoping to get back to it, but it's not really active right now. Um, it's been on hiatus for about a year as I've been trying to sort out a few other things I'm busy with. But on Twitter, I did a chat every Thursday night. It was Growing North. And okay. I would do all sorts of just chatting about, you know, growing in the cold, random things like, hey, what herb do you like? Just a gardening chat, but try and keep a bit of a northern focus. And uh, that was usually quite well attended. I used to do uh, some work with ProMix and I used to do some work with Fiskers and, and companies while I was doing that. But um, I've just been a little bit too busy and uh, Twitter has not necessarily been the happiest place for the last four years. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good point. Yeah, uh, I, have, I have one more topic here I wanted to bring up. You also were featured in the Walleye magazine this month. This month, yeah. Um, probably about three years ago when I did the Green, when I created the greenhouse, um, obviously it was a very novel idea to have an all-season greenhouse in the middle of the city. Um, yeah. So I was featured then, and in May, yes, I was featured. Um, I have an article in there trying to give people encouragement that, yes, you can garden. Some tips for beginners, like don't worry if you think you're a black thumb. This is what a plant needs. You just have to figure out how to give it to the, to the plant. So just some basic right. tips on, you know, how to, how to be successful this year. Start small. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that. That's a really good. So go and check that out. Logan, did you have any other questions? Well, yeah, it's just, it's just, how do you overcome that, that such short growing period, right? Like you said, like you have a hundred days and even then sometimes it doesn't even cooperate. Like right now we're dealing with frost and then even I think like an hour ago it was hailing. <laughs> <laughs> so like mother nature is not cooperative all the time. It is not. Um, the first thing you have to realize is that we're not California and you have to not try yeah. to grow like we're in California. <laughs> and I think that that yeah. is a step that as logical as it seems, some people are like, Oh wait, yeah, maybe I was trying to grow like I'm in California because that's all of the knowledge that is out there is how to grow mm -hmm. in a California zone, right? Or even to grow like in Guelph, which is a totally different climate than we are. But we are resourceful people. <laughs> I mean, come on, we are, we are so resourceful. We can figure this stuff out. If we can heat our houses, we can grow some plants to eat. Um, so you just kind of, you learn to work with what you have. You have a hundred days, so work with that. Talk to different gardeners in the area about what plants they are growing. If you have no mentors, you're going to have to find one in here. So the Facebook group is fantastic. Don't try to grow a pumpkin that takes 120 days. There's pie mm, pumpkins right. that take 80 to 90. So you should grow those. Gotcha. Um, know when your frost date is. Like you already, I think you have a good idea of that. Both you, um, you and Michael do. You've indicated yeah. Yeah. that, yeah, okay, I can't stick stuff out. I've heard about the full moon in June. You, you're aware of Farmer's Almanac type information. So learn what your frost date is and then take a look at that seed package and go, okay, it says start eight weeks before frost. So count back and start your seeds inside and be resist, really strongly resist that huge urge. And we all have it right now 
to plant those things out as soon as it starts getting nice in May. Because that freak yeah. frost in June is going to come and make you very sad. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so much time just gone in this. second. Yeah, like it'll just make you so sad. The forecast will say it's five degrees out and you go outside and it was minus two and your pepper doesn't quite look the same as it did yesterday. <laughs> mm. And then plus the further out you are from Thunder Bay, the colder it gets overnight too, right? It because of the lake. yes that's the lake effect um we yeah. in thunder bay we benefit hugely from that massive heat sink body of water next to us in the summer it keeps yeah. things cooler for us and in the winter it keeps things warmer for us and i don't think many people really appreciate the huge huge benefit that that lake brings to us just in our climate um tempering our climate really yeah it's excessive actually like i mean i used to live out dock lake road <clears throat> And it was always five degrees different. So it's, let's say it's a 30 degrees yeah. in the city. It's 35 out there. Exactly. And uh, if you go up with any kind of elevation, um, once you hit a certain point, it's like there's a snow belt in the fall. There'll be nothing, nothing, nothing. Then it's snow. Yeah. And it's a fine line. It's just like, yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really quite amazing. And uh, unless you really... Again, have your eyes open just as you're moving around your life daily and driving out these roads and just saying, oh, well, that's interesting. Um, you, yeah. you probably will miss it if you're really not noticing it. <laughs> and then there's a snow-covered car in front of you and you know, yeah, that one is from Lava. <laughs> yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, if you don't have anything else, Logan, I would switch it over, but it's, I don't know, right? You had a really good question. Well, I yeah. like that. No, it's just, uh, it just, I have memories of uh, my parents farming and like we had a garden that was mixed veggies, like cabbages, uh, even sunflower seeds, and then an entirely different garden patch just for potatoes. Yeah. Just a massive potato field. But again, my grandfather's from Denmark and I guess that was like a thing. It's also, I mean, I, I don't want to take up all the time. I realize we're like, over 40 minutes on, on gardens already, right, not right, that right. I mind. <laughs> um, it's all good. Yeah. Potatoes are a storage crop. Lettuce is not. Mm. Grow lettuce gotcha. for the summer in a tiny area to use it and grow massive amounts of storage crops because at this time of year, you still have months before you're going to have more potatoes. Even though the weather is nice, you're gotcha. not harvesting them until almost frost again in the fall. So you need the potatoes yeah. from one fall to last to the next fall. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, my grandfather did that too. He had the biggest backyard field of potatoes and he did it manually. <laughs> and once a year, we kids went out there and we helped him. It was the, like the potato fest day. Right. And then we were just digging out the potatoes, man. My family and I still <laughs> does it, almost man. a potato fest. Go out and we start digging them and it takes us, I mean, because you'd have to do it after work and things like that because we can't just spend days doing it. But you go out and you start digging and there's, my sister has two large plots and we plant all the potatoes for the family out there. And you start digging okay. and hopefully we'll be able to have bonfires this fall. But right. at the end of, the, of each day, you take the potatoes and you have everyone around. It's usually the corn is getting ready at that time too. You light up the fire, you put a vat of oil out there and you make fresh potato fries like right into the oil over the open fire. And they're the most oh, amazing wow. thing, the fresh potatoes right out of the garden. And same thing with the corn, you put it in the pot of water right next to it, fresh right off the plant. You're just cracking it right away. And 
please. Yes, please. <laughs> exactly. It's it's the most, yeah. I, I would say, yeah, potato fest. You're out there and it's just oh, all the fresh stuff right from the garden, right onto that bonfire and it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Now I want some. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good way to connect with nature too right that um thanksgiving where like where you appreciate what you got out of your labor or the earth gave to you right oh yeah like yeah once somebody starts gardening and you you have that first real bean like it, it's life-changing for some people i yeah. i hate to describe yeah, sure. it that way but it's just it's so amazing to get the the fruits of your labor in a literal way and it's just it's it's amazing. Yeah. You, you get mm-hmm. pumped so quickly. I, agree. <laughs> I know. That's why we're doing tomatoes again this year. I, I think that's exciting. <laughs> Maybe I'm it I'm is. a crazy lady, but man, I think that's exciting. Like more people gardening, more people getting that connection is just amazing to me. I love it. Mm-hmm. Did you see that article about the uh, bylaw that they're bringing it up again? Once of the one of the councillors wants to talk, bring forward that chicken, having chickens in the city. Is that something you would be interested in too? Like I used to have chickens in the country. I don't know about the city, but now in the time of if the pandemic, everybody could have six eggs every morning. It's it's kind of handy. I'm right? fully supportive of a pandemic or not. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm fully supportive of that. Um, everyone's allowed to have a dog. Some people let them run free. Um, dogs yeah. bark at all hours. Chickens go and roost at night. It's true too. And they are super easy to take care of from my experience. They are. And I mean, at the end of it, I mean, this bylaw would probably say that you can't kill them in town if you were going to, you know, cull off chickens so you don't have to maintain them through winter with heat and uh, potential fire risks. Um, And I don't mean to say that there is a fire risk, but obviously if you have a heat lamp in there, it's the same as having a heat lamp in your house, right? I'm not going to say it's an increased fire risk because it's not. It's just there is another heat lamp somewhere. Yeah, yeah, another one, yeah. So if you don't want to go through that, making sure that they have um, appropriate liquid water, warmed up, non-frozen water, things like that, there are going to pe- be people who want to, you know, use those as soup birds at the end of the year. Mm. Well, you yep. can't do that with most of everything else they allow to, you to keep in the city either. <laughs> I've got okay. no problem with people having their own food security. And I have no problem with a bylaw that will make it appropriate for all members of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great idea for just for food security too. Absolutely. Um, and lessons for children. How many people who are fully grown adults are still disconnected with where their food comes from? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's like I saw an article about, uh, what was it, Hunter's? How dare hunters shoot animals and why don't you go to the grocery store like a normal person? And, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay, uh, I, the process. <laughs> it's it, some people no, don't know. Don't. Yeah, some people no. have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, meat that meat doesn't come in a nice, clean wrapped piece of styrofoam. Not no. yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's we're working on it, no, but. But it's true. There's a lot of there's a lot of things you don't know when you go and grab that package. Yeah. And I mean, I I fully support our local farmers. Um, I'm hoping that somebody will step up to to buy our local abattoir, uh, Thunder Bay Meat Processing. 
the yeah. family does want right, to, right, yeah. to retire. They've earned that right. And it's a very, very vital, hugely important, integral part to our food security yeah. in Thunder yeah. Bay. It's it, very true. I mean, that place is, that is our, that is our slaughterhouse. And it's done yeah. ethically and it's done wonderfully and we need it. So I'm really hoping someone steps in for that. But I'm on their call list. They, they will let you. Okay. And so when they bring in a, a bunch of beef or things like that, you can put your name down and you can get a half side of beef. You, you, get, yep. you can get local pork. You can get all of that sort of stuff locally right here where you know at least part of the story for that animal. That's true. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's also very important. I didn't know it's still for sale. We we actually had that on the podcast like um, a couple of months ago. Yeah, right? A little while ago. Yeah. yeah, a little while ago where we said it's yeah. for sale now because I used to do business with them at one of the uh, hotels I used to work for. And we bought the burgers from them. And uh, so I, I know who they are. Right? Yeah, I assume it's still for sale. Um, I haven't heard anything different. So if I'm wrong and it's been purchased, that would be fantastic. Um, I would just, I would be very sad to see the city lose that, that, um, that service. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And then it comes in the like shipping out of town and even for the farmers sending their cattle out of town. Like it's, it's a more added. Expense, and the, the meat is poorer. Every time you have to move the cattle, the meat oh, right. quality goes down yeah. because they're stressed. Naturally, they're going to be stressed. Yeah. Um, so yep, yeah, your meat good. quality goes down the more you have to move that before it's processed. I mean, the it just goes down. Same with vegetables. You pick up vegetables and move them, you know, a mile versus moving them a thousand miles. Well, <laughs> short distance vegetables nicer. I know. I couldn't believe it. One day I was doing purchasing, and I bought um, I bought carrots from a supplier, and then I got them the next day. And I looked at the box, and it says "Made in China." But not the oh, yeah. box, but the carrots actually were oh, dear. from China. Oh, wow. Like, can you believe that? I can. I, I was. Well, yeah, like, it's, it's, there's tons of that going on. Like, I was listening to CBC and they were saying most of their potatoes are being shipped to China right now. <laughs> yeah, I think mm. they made an agreement, and I don't know if it was finalized or ended, but probably where they relaxed. Um, and this was, I believe, the USA. So I don't have the story in front of me. Let's not quote me too much onto this. But that they were relaxing the certifications or the guidelines that the chickens could be shipped to China for processing and then sent back. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I think it's time to do some sayings. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I give give Pam Pam the heads up. So who, who wants to go first? Oh, Logan, you were second earlier. So how about you go? Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Um, so this one, this one's a bit more modern, and I mean that within the hundred hundred years or so. Um, so it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Wow, what's that? <laughs> There's nothing better than so, sliced bread. Exactly, that's what it means. So <laughs> sliced bread was made or invented. I shouldn't say invented. It was just uh, they, they actually made a machine that made sliced bread in 1928. Wow. And then a comedian in 1952 uh, named Red Skellington said in an interview, don't worry about TV. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So it just means (laughs) it's the greatest thing in 100 years, basically. (laughs) 
Well, I, I when you know when I bought my bread, I usually buy it un, unsliced. What? <laughs> he hasn't heard about the sliced bread Why? yet, Logan. I know. I know. You're behind. Yeah, hundred years. <laughs> Elon Musk needs to educate you on sliced bread. I guess he probably has a robot to do it. Yes, it's got a robot. <laughs> Slices the bread. Yeah. No, be as yeah before because you can. I I like that connection when you cut your bread with your own bread knife. There's a connection. Yeah, it makes it like bread in Germany is like a big thing, right? It's I thought like, that was pastries. Uh, let's that's cake time. But I mean, bread. <laughs> let's just admit that food is okay. a big thing to German families. My family is German too, so yes. food is a big thing. Yeah, and, the, and when you food. slice that bread in the morning, or the bread in consistently, like here, bread is like very soft, for example. But usually, yeah, yeah bread in Germany is actually very good for your teeth because it's very hard. Are you talking about <laughs> that really, really heavy, dark German rind? What? Yeah, that's one of them, but they are almost like all, like the crust is almost more crispy. It's all. Who told you that? Who told you hard bread is good for your teeth? <laughs> it's just like apples. <laughs> Until, no, it's completely different. <laughs> Until you chip a tooth off your bread. <laughs> I think we're confusing oh, hard tack okay. and bread. Uh, yes. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, I, I'm going to go next here for the saying. Mm -hmm. uh, du kannst mir den Buckel runterrutschen. Uh, I say it one more time a little bit slower. Du kannst mir den Buckel runterrutschen. Which means, uh, literally, when I translate it, it means you can slide my back down. Logan, what do you You say? can slice my back down? No, you can slide. Slide. Slide yeah. my back? Is like kiss my ass almost? Yeah, 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 very good. It's leave me alone, get out of here. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it. They're very interesting. When do they, they start saying that, Michael? Um, right after the sliced bread. <laughs> That's the greatest saying since sliced bread, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have the origin of it, but um, that's all. I can get back to you next week on that one if you want. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, man. Um, well... While you guys were talking, obviously, I've shifted my my saying because I had one. I'm like, oh, that doesn't really work with these ones. So we're going to go, you know, water off a duck's back. Oh, yeah. 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 So say it again. We'll move a little bit slower. It's like water off a duck's back. Ah. So it doesn't. Exist. No, it just it doesn't bother me. I don't care. It go ahead and, you know, anymore. call me names. It's water off a duck's back to me. Like, doesn't ah, soak okay. in. Cool. It doesn't matter. It's gone. Yeah. I like that. Let's see two sayings with backs and one with slicing. Great. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured the other one I had, you know, because I, I think that the, the saying was presented to me a little differently when uh, you said come up with a saying. Was, you yeah. know, a saying that you use a lot or that you think of a lot or things like that. And uh, so I had the idea of, you know, be the change you want to see in the world because I go back to that one all the right, time. Right. Because it, there's so many layers to it, it means something different no matter every time you use it. Oh, that makes sense. I like that. But, but I mean, come on, based based on yeah, sliced yeah. bread, I think we're going with the duck's back over here. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> now, work. I have to bring this up to the audience. 
uh, anybody who doesn't know Pam, you you also uh, applied to be an astronaut. Right? I did during the last um, the last call that the government put for astronauts. Um, I did apply. Yeah. yeah. When, when was uh, that was 2016. 2016. Okay. And then, um, how come you applied for it? Why? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's ex that's such an exciting thing. I I love. Obviously, I mentioned earlier. I love learning. I love exploring. I love just getting right in there and doing stuff. Um, probably, obviously, the you know, just I want to plant a seed. I'm going to do that. Um, my poor husband, he's so accustomed to, I want to do that. And I just do it. He'll come home and it's halfway done. I mean, I wanted a dishwasher in and that was it. Out came the, the saw and he came home to the cabinets cut in pieces. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Nice. So like, no, we're putting a dishwasher in. So he's like, all right, put the saw down, dear. <laughs> um, yeah. But you must be, obviously, you must be very fascinated with space. I love um, the idea of space. Um, it's not necessarily just space, because um, obviously the astronaut corpse is much larger than space. A lot of it is just furthering right. knowledge. Um, it, it's a huge thing for furthering knowledge, using space as a vehicle for, for furthering knowledge. Um, the amount of experimentation that's done on the International Space Station that allows us to understand things um, more fully is amazing. Um, applying that um, anti-gravity or not anti-gravity, but the lack of gravity to those, the low gravity conditions um, of yeah. orbit yeah. allows us so much knowledge about fluid dynamics, areas like that, um, health, health treatments, um, so many things yeah. for physics. And it's just, it's amazing. I, I've always gone to learn something when I want to do it. I needed a car, so I went and learned to build one instead. I needed to fix my computer, so I learned oh, wow. to solder the circuit boards instead. Um, everything like that, like I just, I need to get right in there and do it. I needed some more business um, information, so I went and got an MBA. Um, so I just, wow. <laughs> yeah, like to the extremes, don't I? Get her Pretty much. That's the way it is. Like, okay, well, I just do that. Well, yeah. I'll just go do it. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just, space is fascinating to me, but. The idea of the astronaut corpse was just so much more than that. It was getting right in there and being involved and using everything. Because I'd say I've learned a lot of different things and using all of that and applying it to the space station and to furthering all of this other knowledge was just fascinating to me. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. obsessed with space too, but in a different way, I think, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the... So now we always ask, would you go to the moon or sea? But I will not ask you because you would go to no, the moon. No, no, I'd go to the sea. You go to the oh, sea? Wow. Ah. No, I'd go to the sea. Why? I'd go to the bottom of the sea. Okay. Absolutely go to the bottom of the sea. Okay. We explore space hey, more you... than we explore the bottom of the sea. I mean, come on. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you got me on that one. I'm speechless. And then next question I have is with you now with your growing north would you go to mars and grow some potatoes there i would um i don't know if i'd grow potatoes necessarily um okay. i'd probably grow them and a few other things but yeah. uh yeah, yeah i would but the the inverse photon energy to distance relationship to the sun versus earth <laughs> kind of changes th that that's a new game out there and i actually yeah. i really i love a challenge I do. I love mm -hmm. a challenge. Go figure. 
<laughs> so I, I, I'd be all say. up for that because that's what Growing North to me is as well. It's, it's the challenge of, like Logan asked, how do you deal with this growing season? How do you deal with not having space to grow? How do you deal with it? So it's like, well, figure it out. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good way to do it. It's like that's the question, but I have, you can't yeah. stop at the question. You got to find the answer. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I know. I have huge respect for that. Um. Uh, do you have any other topics, Logan? I have a couple oh, more, but <laughs> a couple more. Yeah, I have lots. Okay, I'm just gonna <laughs> cliff notes it here. Uh... So NASA has actually come out and said, yes, we're working with Tom Cruise to make a movie in space. <laughs> okay. And Tom Cruise is actually going to go to the ISS to get the real uh, feeling of weightlessness in space. Okay. But that's as far as the movie and anything else, that's about as much as we know. It's a joint effort between SpaceX and NASA and Mr. Cruz himself. So, wow. Yeah. Um, astronomers find the closest black hole to the Earth, which yeah. is one thousand light years away. Yeah. A, you know, just a short distance away. So, you know, beware of that one. <laughs> oh, I'll warn uh, about seven generations down for me, okay? Oh, yeah, maybe even so. more than that, but yeah. Mm. <laughs> And yeah, how about Elon Musk and that baby? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I I can't even. Apparently, this is the baby name. It's X A E, like as an ether. You know, when the A and the E are together. Yep. A dash twelve. Yep. Now, apparently, they're naming the baby like this. Their events in their lives are things like one of them's a plane that they really like. That's the A twelve. Yeah, they really like the A12 plane, so let's name it after our baby or vice versa there. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just probably a code or something, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he was, on, uh, he was on Joe Rogan, I think, yesterday. Mm. And uh, Joe asked him, hey, what's up with this name? So yeah. supposedly the X... Um, you just, it's a math problem. Yeah, and then the yeah. AE you just pronounce as, as Ash. Yeah. And then the other one is the airplane. I don't know. California does not allow numbers or whatever. It's so maybe the well, name... they can just go to another state that does and then come back. You know what I mean? Does it matter guess... where the birth certificate is held? Yeah, wherever they're born, I'd say. Yeah, I think that's a big point. I don't think they can name that child this way. Well, I know in Hawaii they they had to ban people from naming their. Uh, babies after cars like Honda and Toyota because it was confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just gotta drive my Honda to soccer. Exactly. Talented yeah. Honda. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, no scientists have discovered an antibody that will help stop the coronavirus from infecting cells. Um, so basically what we're dealing with right now is when the white blood cells go to throw their proteins to prevent the, the uh, cells from causing all this damage, um, they actually slide off. And so these antibodies that they have discovered can now actually stick to the cell, to the coronavirus cell, yeah. preventing it from infecting anything. So that was really neat. But again, 
they still have to work on a vaccine and get it to people. So they're working so on it. So if the antibody has a cross uh, cross reaction to any other cell protein, surface protein. Right. Yeah. So there, there's still some stuff they need to look into. So. Yeah, that's because they want to do this in a really short time, right? It usually takes years. Yeah. Well, they, they like again, we we get it. It's there's a lots of people that, are, that could potentially die from this, but again, we don't want to make the situation even worse by infecting people with something else. Well, the antibody right? so, itself wouldn't infect, but it may um, interrupt some other pathways in the body that are important if it has cross reactivity. So, right, because the antibody yeah. itself has no yeah. infectious particles or ability. And how long then you have to test every single reaction before you say it's um, well, they would go into an animal model first, um, probably a mouse because they're that model is used a because of um, how quickly they we have generations of them, but also because they're yeah. quite close to human actually. So that's why you can you okay. can implant a human ear on the back of a mouse and, and things like that. And humans are actually even closer to pig, but that's uh, a very large organism and you can't ne have nearly the same kind of um, generations from it. Yeah, with the pigs, I know that one, that they're very close to the human mm -hmm. body. I think it's even closer than a chimpanzee, but don't quote me on that. I can't remember which one's closer, the pig or the chimp. Mm -hmm. And so the, um, the mouse would then get that vaccine and then they would test it expose it to the virus and see if it would still um no but i'm thinking more the antibody kind of the one that you're talking about for blocking the coronavirus attachment where it actually interacts with the coronavirus itself they would probably have that antibody without any viral and they would probably um, introduce that to the mouse to see if there's any cross reactivities to just the antibody itself uh, okay um yeah so is that, but the vaccine usually is a small exposure to the virus. A vaccine can be a small exposure to a number of different things. It could be a protein from the virus. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the virus because um, I'm not sure. This is probably totally off topic, but if you want to talk about it, um, how, how in depth is your knowledge of the immune system? Like how it actually responds to a, a threat or a, an invasion? Yeah, just like Logan said, with the white blood cells, right? um, To some degree, yes. That, that's, that's part of, of it. it. Okay. Um, but essentially, let's look at it as a, the idea of a blueprint. So as a baby, you get a little bit of blueprint, pretty much like a little bit of historical knowledge from your mother. And those are essentially your body knows what antibodies, how to create those, kind of like you learn how to create a square, a triangle, a circle. You learn how to make these things, right? your body gets this blueprint. Okay. So it's like, okay, if I see that again, I know how to do it. I got it. Um, and as you get older and you get exposed to more things in your environment and your immune system is developing, okay, that is self and that is environment. And that is, oh, that's threat. It learns these things as it develops in very, very early years, the immune system's learning. So you get chicken pox or something, right? Your body doesn't necessarily yep. have the blueprint so you give it something that will help it learn the blueprint. You give it a vaccine. And that vaccine could be a protein that's on the outside of the chicken pox itself, or it could be anything related to it that's going to help your body say, okay, I need to make this molecule that can attach to that, um, that invader, and then my body can clear it. 
the cells yep. will be able to grab it. It's marked. My body's like, okay, grab that. It's got a big flashing red beacon. And everything that invades your body is different. So you need a different blueprint for every single thing. So you know how to react next time it comes in. Some vaccines you'll give an what's called an attenuated virus. Um, basically, it can't do anything. It's been killed. Um, but it's there so your body can learn all the different things on the outside of that virus, make a really, really good blueprint of many things. So that anytime it sees anything related to that, whether it's A, B, C, D, or E that was on that outside of that virus, mm. it has the blueprint, mm. it can react really quickly. Question? Yep. Question? Why would the body actually, would the body still, actually still analyze these things if it's already dead? Because it, the body knows that that is not part of self. Okay, so just wouldn't just get rid of it. It's just it's still analyzing. in order to in order to look at it and and get rid of it. It still needs to create these things to bind to it. So it okay. has to create something to bind to it, so the rest of the immune system can grab it and and clear it out. It can't uh -huh. just kick it. So that your body is producing antibodies. That's why if you have if you get a tetanus shot, they look for a titer. Well, what they're doing is seeing how many antibodies are in your body that relate to that. Did your body actually produce enough of them? Is it actually responding to it? Yeah, that's why you need it every 10 years again, right? Yeah, tetanus? yeah because your body also eventually, I, I don't want to say cleans house because that gives the wrong impression. But if you think about cleaning house, you're like, I haven't used this in 10 years. It's degraded. I can only see half of it anymore. It, it gives you a more robust immune response. It kind of refreshes that blueprint, you know, cleans up the lines a little bit where, you know, the pen kind of got sketchy. Yeah, so that's what you're doing when you're giving a vaccine is you're giving it something part of the virus or a protein of the virus or an attenuated virus or multiple parts of it proteins that your body can say, Hey, this isn't part of me. It will create the blueprint for those molecules so it can attach to them. And so it knows exactly how to clean them out and be able to. So next time, if the actual virus comes towards you, like polio or chicken pox that we've all been immunized for it's like hey wait a second i've got that in the storeroom let me grab that blueprint it immediately knows how to make it what it's making and off it goes but right now we don't have anything for coronavirus so <laughs> yeah we yeah, do so not right now it comes in and everyone's like ah you deal with it hot potato your problem doesn't have any idea how to actually create the blueprint that's needed to attached to and clear this this molecule or this virus out yeah because, yeah, because it's completely yeah. new yeah okay i just wanted to do one more thing here real quick um I, did you hear about those murder hornets Pam? i've heard of yeah so now i i had to i had to, i watched this video where a praying mantis actually captures one and it eats it <laughs> <laughs> because they make this big case that the the this type of hornet is very like the biggest hornet that exists and it's very effective in killing bees mm. but their their praying mantis still can just capture it and just eat it no problemo yeah praying mantis are pretty imp just... pretty impressive yeah. and there's a lot of them in bc they have the right climate for it they use them in the the vineyards praying mantis in the vineyards they actually even released them to uh, help with the pest control in the vineyard 
Yeah, I wanted to ask if you have them in your greenhouse too, but I didn't want to ask when you were telling all the other. Um, well, bio. the first time I see a murder hornet in the greenhouse, I'll go and get those those praying mantis and I'll bring them in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to me. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, China actually just launched a new spacecraft also, and they're planning to build their own space station because of um, the U.S. and everybody else does not cooperate with them for several security reasons. They do now have their own space uh, thing, and they are trying to get to them because they landed on the dark side of the moon, actually, for the first time last year, I think. And they're working very busy on that. So I just wanted to bring that up on Space News as well. And that's all I have. Hello? <laughs> we're all in awe. Oh, we're, we're here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I, I think we are over our time limit here. And if you guys are all good, we can wrap it up. Or if you have anything else, just let us know. No, I'm, I'm good. You let me go completely off topic. So yeah. we're great. Okay, perfect. Now you are. You, we can find you on Facebook, on Twitter, right? Growing yep. yours, and you are on, on Instagram as Facebook, well. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I also have the website growingyours.ca. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So if you need some knowledge on gardening, you should definitely go and check out Growing North. Okay, and hit Pam up. She will help you. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I will bring episode 59, Asked by the Giant, to a closure today. Okay? You guys are so Ooh. quiet. <laughs> Sounds good. Have Thanks for having me on, guys. It was okay. a lot of fun. Okay, yeah, thank you very much.